0: Uh, you can be seated. What a, what a great song, right? Uh, that, that's the, the heartbeat of this place. Those are the things that he is. Um, I hardly even need to preach this morning, yet yeah, I still am. So um, <laughs> so let's go ahead and pray. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for the truth of that song, uh, and I pray that every single person here would would focus their heart and their mind um, not on Joseph who we're going to study today because Joseph was human uh, broken not perfect but that our hearts and our minds would be focused on Jesus uh, who is all of those things that we just sang and more it's the name of Jesus that we pray Amen Stephen uh, Wiltshire is an autistic genius. He was able to draw entire cities from memory after seeing them only one time. He once drew a 19-foot long perfect drawing of New York City after a single 20-minute helicopter ride. Thai Najok is a Vietnamese insomniac who claims to have not slept for 41 years. After about a bout fever in 1973, he acquired this baffling ability. Doctors say he shows absolutely no ill effects of sleep deprivation, but in fact is mentally sound. Dean uh, Karnatskis is an American ultra-marathon runner whose body does not exhibit any signs of physical exhaustion ever. He once ran for 350 consecutive miles, foregoing sleep for three days straight. His latest achievement, and this is what he was on the news for. You may have heard of him before. His latest achievement was running 50 marathons in all 50 states for 50 consecutive days. (laughs) Ending with New York City, which he completed. You think, oh, the the last one's New York City. Uh, If if that were me, it would take me about 18 days to finish it. Um, And and that would be in my car. Uh, But (laughs) it took him three hours. Flat. Flat. Scientists have concluded that he could literally run until he died of old age. At the age of six months old, Liam Hockstra could walk upright without assistance, including stairs. By one, he was doing chin-ups, and by the age of 18 months, he could move furniture around the family home. Liam was born with an extremely rare condition, a deficiency in myostatin, a protein that limits the growth of muscle in the body, and his muscle growth is inhibited, which leads him to possess six times the strength of children his normal age at age four. So those are obviously unique and special abilities, but let me start out by talking this morning a little bit about what is a gift God has given you. It may not be overly unique like those above, But what is the thing in your mind that kind of makes you, you? What what is the thing that kind of makes you, you? Maybe you are a great listener. Maybe you are a great teacher. Maybe you would say you are a great parent. You're great with money. You're a great builder. What is the thing that makes kind of you, you? It is a core kind of piece of your identity. And when people kind of ask you about you, you very quickly kind of introduce this into the conversation. Now, before we continue on in our Joseph series, if you'll indulge me uh, for about 10 minutes or so, I want to go back because one of the gifts that Joseph has uh, that we see throughout his story is the ability to interpret dreams. This is one of the things that makes Joseph, Joseph. It is unique to him, it is special, it is supernatural. He has the ability to know what God is communicating through dreams that people have. And we're going to see kind of an evolution in Joseph's life in terms of the way he handles dreams. Because uh, these dreams happen uh, at the age of 17, and we're going to see how he handles it when he's 17. We started the series there, and then we're going to see this kind of thing return again now when he's in the neighborhood of 30 years old. And we're going to see kind of what happens uh, with his interpretation of dreams then. But this is, uh, th- this is something that makes Joseph Joseph, his ability to see dreams. So here's where the story starts. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to this dream. And if you underline in your Bible or whatever, you can listen to this dream I had. Right? We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. This this just a great dream, brothers? His brother said to him, Not, we don't like this dream. Um, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Most people, I think, would kind of pause there and say, I don't think they they like these dreams. I don't think they like my interpretation of this dream. Not Joseph. He had another dream. And he told his brothers, listen, I've had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were all bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had, your brothers bowing down to you is fine. Well, your mother and I and, and your brothers come down and bow to the ground before you? When it was just your brothers, I was willing to let this go. But are you saying your mother and I are going to bow down to you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, here's the interesting thing about this dream. Is by and large, this dream comes true. If you remember how the story goes, Joseph angers his brothers to the point where they ended up selling him into slavery he eventually ends up in G- Egypt he rises to the highest position in the land his brothers think that he's probably dead a famine strikes the land and they end up fleeing their home and going to Egypt because of the famine and there's Joseph in the highest position of the land and they end up kneeling before him at one point in the story begging him for food I think the dream was from God it came true and beyond that, this was just, like I said, it is one of those things that makes Joseph unique. It is his ability to see and understand and interpret dreams. This was his gift. It, 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 was, it was his thing. And here's the question of the story that I'll kind of have you ponder with me for a moment. Is he, at this point in the story, is he managing this gift well? Is he managing this gift Well? You can see how damaging shearing the dream was. Now, the father had kind of built the campfire a little bit, the sticks and all that, had built the campfire of jealousy and anger and bitterness. And then Joseph, with the dreams, he takes his lighter and kind of lights the fire. And so when Joseph does that, Jealousy increases. Anger increases. Bitterness increases. Sharing the dream, you could certainly make this argument, sharing the dream made everything worse. And certainly his father played a role. And his brothers, I think, are most accountable for their own actions. That's a whole separate sermon that I preached about a, a week ago. But Joseph, certainly in the way he's handling these dreams, made everything worse. So the question is, if you agree with me, that he probably shouldn't have shared the dream. Why did he? Well, I had a professor in Bible college years ago that used to teach in a preaching class, Steve and others. You wanna be very, very careful psychoanalyzing dead people. Nothing good comes from it in a sermon. So if you'll indulge me, I'm gonna psychoanalyze dead people just for a minute. Why on earth did he share this dream? I am of an opinion that we tend to do things that we feel, we we might buy into a lie with it, but we tend to do things that at a minimum we think are going to work for us. And I wonder if Joseph kind of liked his brothers being jealous of him. I wonder if there was an element, the text doesn't say it to be sure. I'm making preaching air 101. But I wonder if there's not some truth to it, just understanding our sinful human nature. I wonder if there was a part of Joseph that kind of liked the jealous, angry, bitter reaction of his brother. Now, he didn't like being sold into slavery. Don't hear me saying that. But I wonder if before that, if he just liked rattling their cage a little bit. Now, his brother's reaction, way off base, right? We were joking about this in Sunday school a little bit. Everybody gets angry with their siblings. They sold him into slavery overreaction to the extreme, right? But I think Joseph took a gift from God, my opinion here, and I think he used it in an irresponsible and somewhat prideful way. You can see it in the language he uses. Remember what I had to underline? The language he uses is, hey, brothers, gather around. I had a dream. He doesn't seem to recognize that this came from God. He doesn't seem to uh, understand that it needs to be used God's way at all. And it angers them. And yet he comes back a second time and says, Hey, I've had a second dream. Listen to it. And he takes this gift from God. It's a gift from God. And he used it in kind of a way that served his pride and served his youthful arrogance. Now, before we go any further... I think we have to establish in this room uh, that whenever I'm reading Joseph, I always have to remind myself to have kind of a me-too moment. Because we are all like Joseph in a way, and here's one of the ways we're all like Joseph, that God has given us good gifts. Just like God gave Joseph a loving father, and God gave Joseph talents and abilities, the ability to interpret dreams, God has given you good gifts as well. Uh, that's something we all have in common in this room. I love how Jesus famously said this in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, "Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks, for, if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good, good gifts to those who ask Him?" So you can just imagine the scene that Jesus is establishing. Mom, Dad, I am so hungry. Can I have some fish sticks? I'm famished. I, I'm, I'm hungry. Can I please have some fish sticks? Yes, you can have some fish sticks. I'm going to put them in the oven. They will be ready in 20 minutes. Ding! 20 minutes later, you pull out... You know, snake. What kind of parent does that? No good parent would ever do that. And so one of the dominant questions that we need to ask ourselves... One of the dominant questions we ask ourselves, I should say, in Christianity is often, why does God allow all this hardship in the world? And I understand the question. I think there are some reasons we need to answer that question. But you know what? No one ever debates. You never hear someone debate how can God be so incredibly kind to his children? How can God, you never hear anyone debate this. How can God be so incredibly kind and generous with his children? But the truth of the matter is, he has given us all good gifts. Every single person in this room, you may be going through a hard time, and I would not take that from you. That has to be processed and understood. But God gives good gifts to his children. So if you're here today and you have a job, you might feel like that is a good gift. Maybe maybe you don't, but you might feel like it's a good gift. If you're here today and you have children, depending on how the morning went, you might feel like they are a good gift. If you have unique abilities and talents, if you have friends or the Holy Spirit or a place to live or some money in your pocket, you can look back and say, God has given me good gifts. God has blessed my life in an incredible way way and all of us in that way are blessed and we're kind of forced in the sermon today to ask the same question I'm asking about Joseph because in a way we're all like him and here's the tough question am I using his gifts that he's entrusted to me and that he has given me am I using his gifts in a way he never intended Now, don't hear me say between the lines here, don't enjoy. The Bible talks about this too. The Bible talks about enjoying the gifts God has given. If you have a job, I kind of hope you enjoy your job. If you have children, I hope you enjoy your children. If you're married, I hope you enjoy your marriage. If you have friendships, I hope you enjoy your friendship. Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. I bet that was really fun at parties. I bet it was. I, I bet he enjoyed it. Joseph said the kind of mingler and someone's like. I had the weirdest dream. <laughs> Let me tell you what it means. It's like, wow, that would be a really cool gift. I, I hope he enjoyed that to a certain uh, st- to a certain extent. It is kind of a slap in the face of the gift giver to not enjoy. The gift, I, I hate it when, I, when I'll attend a church and it's one of those churches where they just kind of believe that Christians ought to be uh, downtrodden and sad and all of that. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Hand and I understand the sentiment. But if God has been good to us and God has given us good gifts, we should be the most joyful people in the world. So yeah, enjoy the gift. But enjoy those gifts Joseph would teach us. Enjoy those gifts in a God-honoring and a God-glorifying way. This is what it means to play our role. Part of what it means to play our role in this world is to understand we all, they're different, but we all have been given these gifts, entrusted to us. We've all been given these gifts, and we want to use those gifts in a way that honors the gift giver. So money is a gift. If you've got a little money in your pocket, money is a gift. But how quickly money can become the launching point for selfishness. And all of a sudden we're using this gift of money in a way that God never intended. Spending everything on us and our family or never being generous and kind and compassionate with the gift God has given us. Children are a gift. A lot of the time they are, right? but how often they can become the launching point for pride and comparison. When I was in youth ministry, it really surprised me. Years ago, when I was in youth ministry, I was surprised how often parents would use their children and their accomplishments as weapons against other parents. It can be brutal to watch. Parents use their children as a weapon against another parent to make them feel less than, or I've seen children become the lens through which uh, we are trying to live a life that we wish we had lived or we had hoped that we lived, and we try to force our kids to live the life that we always thought that we would have. Instead of loving them and training them and teaching them to love the Lord and serve him well, we use that gift of kids in a way that God never intended. A, a good job or a career, it is a good thing. But how often does that become a launching point? For meaning and fulfillment. And all of a sudden we're turning to this gift God gave us. Called career. We're turning to it to identify us. And fill us up. And give us joy, hope, and peace. And all of a sudden we're turning to that gift. To be like our our functional savior and our messiah. And all of a sudden it turns turns bad. We use the gift in a way God never intended. Instead of it being a place where God has placed us to spread his glory and his renown. And I know that when I'm most often like Joseph, what I find when I'm most often like Joseph is when I'm tempted to use a gift God has given me in a really prideful way, one of the dominant ways I can tell that I'm doing that is when I start to identify the gift with a personal pronoun. We saw that with Joseph, didn't we? I, me, my. Joseph, all of a sudden, he's identifying a gift God had given him as his and the thing that he's in control of, and I find that I'm doing, I often do that as well. That I'm going to use my money to do this. I'm going to enroll my kids in this program. I'm going to put this uh, time. I'm going to put more time into my job. And I understand that is a common terminology. I talk about Sam being my son and Lila being my daughter and my job and my money. But the question is, is it just common terminology, or is there something underneath it? Am I beginning to hold on tightly to something more tightly than I should? Where just like Joseph, I begin to reframe things. It's no longer a gift God has given to accomplish his will and his purpose. Now it's my resource. It's my money. It's my house. It's my kids. It's my career to use for my will and my purpose. And I'm going to speak for myself here. I, I don't know you well enough to speak for you. But when I fall into that mode of using a gift God had given in a way he never intended, and it becomes me, mine, my, my the, the, the me monster, when that happens, it usually goes south in a hurry. Because in my heart, I'm selfish and prideful. And if I go with my will and my purpose and my way, I'm going to get myself... <laughs> And my wife and my family and my church into trouble. One of the lessons we learned from Joseph is how difficult it is to live a really blessed life when that's your mode. How difficult it is to live a really blessed life when you approach things with a selfish and prideful mindset. A mindset that encourages us to use God's gifts in a way he never intended. Joseph ends up, even before the slavery, Joseph ends up alienated from his family, does a ton of damage. And it's not obviously, it's not all his fault what happened with his family. Like I said, his dad built the campfire. His brothers were totally inappropriate and sinful and evil and wrong. But Joseph contributes because he refuses to use a gift God had given him in a God-honoring and God glorifying way. So what happens in the meantime, where I want to skip ahead now, um, you're like, wait a second, was that the introduction? No, 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 we're, we're a good chunk of the way through, don't panic. My Spartans are playing at 11, we're, we're gonna, we're, uh, this is not, this will not be a long sermon, all right, I promise you, all right. So what happens in the meantime is that Joseph, in Joseph's life, is he's sold into slavery, he ends up in Egypt, he raises to a really high position. And remember, last week, he's falsely accused of sexual harassment, of trying to have an affair with his boss's wife. He goes to prison, and while he's there, there's a cupbearer and a baker that he meets in prison. And they both have dreams. And uh, he says to the cupbearer, he says, listen, here's, here's what this dream means. Uh, you're going to get out of here. You're going to be put back into your original position. Life's going to continue on and, and be really good. And uh, the baker says, well, I had a dream too. W- would you please interpret my dream? And Joseph like, you're going to be killed. Sorry. Um, you're going you're to be executed. And so it, it all happens exactly as Joseph predicts. And the cupbearer says, listen, I'm going to remember you. When I get out of prison, I, you know, I'm so grateful that you encouraged me and all I'm going to remember you. And he gets out and he forgets. He forgets about Joseph until Pharaoh starts to have these dreams that nobody understands and nobody can make any sense of. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, I remembered this guy from prison that could interpret dreams. And so all of a sudden Joseph gets, uh, get, gets uh, brought in before Pharaoh, And I wanted to show you what happened. So so Joseph sent for Pharaoh, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now before I read verse 16, I want us to remember 17-year-old Joseph and the way he handled this gift. I've had a dream, listen to it. Uh, We don't like this dream at all. Well, now I've had a second dream. Listen to it, right? Young, brash, kind of prideful Joseph, not leveraging the gift that way God intended or the way that God wanted. And now he's standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I've had a dream. No one knows what it means. I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And verse 18, we read this. Look at how much he's grown. I cannot do it. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then skip down to verse 25. The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then in verse 28, he says the same thing. He says, I hear you can interpret dreams. He says, no, 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 no. God can give you the answer. And he, all of a sudden, he's leveraging the gift in a totally different way. I love this transition to Joseph's life. He moves from this i centered prideful, selfish existence to this God-centered, he and him existence. And this is the foundation, you guys, of the Christian life. This is what it means to play your role and to play your, well, uh, play your role well. It's this truth that the best way to enjoy God's gifts, the best way to enjoy God's gifts is in a God-centered, God-honoring, God-glorifying way. I'm always amused. You guys have probably heard about some of these before, but I'm always amused by some of the warning labels on like everyday products, you know? Like on a bottle of liquid Drano, it says, do not reuse the bottle to store beverages. (laughs) A hair coloring kit that says, do not use this as ice cream (laughs) topping. A can of pepper spray, never spray it in your own eyes. My favorite was an infant bathtub. Do not throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater. All good advice. And what cracks me up is you know why those warnings are there. Someone's like, I've heard this phrase. You know, don't throw the baby out with the bath. I wonder where that... You know, they, they, they tried these things. Someone got injured, so they sued. And now there's a warning on every bottle of that product. See, it is best to enjoy the product... By adhering to the manufacturer instructions. Life is the same way, guys. The best way to enjoy life is to view the gifts that God has given us and to leverage those in a God-honoring and God-centered way. You want to enjoy your marriage? Do marriage in a God-honoring and God-centered way. You want to enjoy your kids? Do child rearing, do family in a God-honoring and God-centered way. You want to enjoy the money God has blessed you with? Spend it in a God-honoring and God-centered way. You want to enjoy your career? Work in a God-honoring and God-centering way. And I'm guessing it sounds a bit churchy to you and not very specific, but I think there's a couple things we can ask ourselves as we're trying to process what this means for us on an individual level. Like, All right, Enjoy the gifts God has given me in a God-honoring, God-centered way. Joseph didn't do that. He matured. He spiritually grew. And then he did do that. Got it. Can we go home? Not yet. I've got 16 minutes before that game starts. So what? what, (laughs) I want to give you two questions we can kind of ask ourselves. And here's question number one. How can I best give honor and glory to God with the gifts he has given me? This is exactly what Joseph does in this story. He says, I hear you're good with dreams. I hear you have this gift. He says, oh, no, I can't do squat. Loose Hebrew interpretation, right? <laughs> I can't do squat. God can answer your dream. God can communicate to me what your dream means. And all of a sudden, he kind of views this gift as a way to leverage it and to give honor and glory To God, And so with our money and our time and our children and our spouses and our jobs, how can I leverage those gifts in a way that gives God honor and glory and praise in this world? And you say, well, that sounds fine for God, right? That he gets honor and glory and and praise. But uh, the question underneath that is, what about me? And here's the truth. That me monster comes back really quickly, doesn't it? When you live a life, though, that honors God and gives glory to God, it results in your joy. God's not looking to steal from you or rob any joy from you. As a matter of fact, that's what's said about the devil, that we have an enemy who comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's what's said about the enemy. That is not God. God's not looking to steal or rob joy from you. Glorifying and living for him, glorifying him and living for him results In your joy. It's what Joseph had to learn. He had to learn how blessing and joy comes to a person's life. That he was trying to do it his way. And it did not result in blessing or joy. And and you'll notice that uh, throughout the rest of the story, as Joseph is learning this lesson, you know what it said about Joseph? That everything Joseph did, God blessed. That God was with Joseph. He blessed Joseph. He was kind to Joseph. And it's not that everything was easy for Joseph. Don't hear me saying that. He was blessed while he was in prison. He was blessed while he was forgotten. He was blessed while he was in in slavery. So it's not that it was easy, but there was blessing and there was joy that came from when, When he said, you know what? God has given me these gifts, these abilities, these blessings. I'm going to leverage them for his honor, his glory, and his praise because he has entrusted them to me. So there's a way to do family. You guys know this. That places all kinds of bits of pressure on your kids to excel and to be what you never were. And there is a way to do family that honors and glorifies God. There is a way to do marriage that can become incredibly selfish and demands that your spouse serve you and please you. And there is a way to do marriage that honors and glorifies God in this world. There is a way to do career that is prideful and seeks in all ways to get ahead. And there is a way to do career that honors and glorifies God. I just love Joseph so much in this story. He says, I can't do it anymore. I've done the me monster thing. I can't do it. But God can, and he leverages that moment before Pharaoh, before Pharaoh. He leverages that moment to give honor and glory and praise to God. And listen, when we do what I'm talking about, doing family and marriage and career and generosity differently, when we do that, it is going to stand out. I promise you it will stand out. In this culture, it's going to stand out even more than it did 10 years ago. When you base a marriage on what God says about marriage, when you base a family, when you base a career, when you base your generosity on what God teaches, it is going to stand out. And there will come a point where someone's like, all right, why? Why do you live this way? Why do you act this way? Why do you behave this way? Why are you generous? Why? There will come a moment. I promise you there will. Around the water cooler, at the kids game, at whatever, there will come a moment where someone's like, I, I want to know why, and you will be placed. You won't be before Pharaoh, probably, but you will be placed in the exact same position that Joseph was in. And he says, well, it's not me or my family. We're not special. It's God. It's God. He's helped us to be different. And all of a sudden, in that moment, you have leveraged the gift God has given you to give God honor and glory and pray. So there's a second question. And maybe this gets even more specific for you. Is there a way that God has commanded this gift to be used? And am I using his gift that way? All right. So when you think about the gifts that God has given you, all right, when it comes to money or maybe marriage or kids or relationships or whatever, is there a way that you can point to in the scriptures that God has commanded you to use the gift this way, and are you using his gift his way? So let me give you a couple examples. So the Bible says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, right? So that is a very specific example of a gift that God has given you. You Say, man, my, my wife is a gift to me. Great. I, I hope you do feel that way. I, I feel that way. That my my spouse is a gift to me. Great. God has commanded you, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Real quick teaser. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed for her. He gave his life for her. He laid down for her. He served her. All right. So the Bible says, husbands love your wives like. Right. So that's that's a good example of it. Uh, the Bible says. To wives, it says, respect your husbands. So a lot of, hopefully, wives would say, man, my husband is God's gift to me. I, I hope we have a lot of wives in this room that would feel that way. My, my husband is a gift to me. That's great. There is a way that God has commanded you to behave in that relationship. The Bible would say uh, to children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Right? And so I know that there's probably 15 kids in here that would say, my parents are a gift to me. (laughs) My family, I think, is watching online. My son woke up with a headache this morning, a a migraine. So, Sam, if you're watching, I know you're cheering right now. My parents are a gift from the Lord to me. right? So hopefully you feel that way. I, I know sometimes you don't, but hopefully you feel that way. There is a way that God has commanded you to behave in this relationship. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. The Bible says if you're, if you're a parent and you feel your children are a gift to you, hopefully you feel that way. There is a way. It's raise your children in the Lord. Children are to be taught to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a gift from, the, from God, and I am going to leverage it. For God. So hopefully, your job maybe feels like a gift to you. It's Sunday. Maybe it feels like more of a gift than it will tomorrow morning, but maybe your job feels like a gift to you from God. The Bible would say to workers obey your masters and work for them as though you are working for the Lord. Because it's right. That's how that gift is to be used. Your financials, the money that you have, you say, man, the Bible talks repeatedly about generosity and just being faithful. And here's why it's so important. The best way to enjoy God's gifts is in a God honoring and God glorifying way. So I think about Jesus. He comes to earth to rescue us from our sins and to be our Redeemer and bring us back to God. And it's toward the end of his earthly ministry, he's in the garden. He's sorrowful, he's troubled. The cross is before him. The pain of it, he'll have to endure. And he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. And he goes off by himself to pray. He says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Remember what he said next? Yet not as I will, but as you will. He says, this is where I am with the Father. I have a thing I want to do. He's asked me to bring this gift to the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus was a gift to us. He's, there's a way that God wants me to leverage this life that he's given me. And there's a way that I can bring salvation and joy and hope and peace to the entire world. But, this is, this, but I have a will that I, where I'd like to see it done. But my will is secondary to his. And I think that's one of the key components of this not to compare the trivial with the really really important what Jesus did is very very important I don't want to compare that with the trivial but sometimes I think when we approach our financials or our kids or our relationships or our marriages or our church we have a will That well, I want to, I want to do this with my money. I want to do this with my kids. I want to do this in my job. This is what I want. I have a will, but our will must become secondary to his. We've got to leverage the gifts he has given us in a God-honoring and God-glorifying way, and I think every one of us has a decision to make about how we're going to filter the decisions we make and manage the gifts God has given us. Will it be my way and my will and my desire? Because sometimes what we want to do, it's not, nobody would call it sinful or wrong. It's, it's just not exactly what God wants us to do in, in that moment. And so we got to figure out, are we going to leverage it for my will and my way, or are we going to leverage it for his will and his way? And we see in Jesus a great example of um, somebody who said, not my will be done, but your will be done, God. May your will be done in this situation. Because I trust you, and I know you're trying to bring about good. I know you're trying to bring about joy, hope, and peace, and salvation to every person. So right now, as I stand before the cross, I might have a will, but don't, don't pay attention to my will. Let your will be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And right now, as we're kind of contemplating uh, the gifts you have given us, the things that you have placed in our hands, uh, right now we want to just kind of contemplate how would you have us to use those gifts and how would you like us to leverage those for your honor and your glory. Joseph's on this transformation that, that we've gotten to see Of, I have a dream, listen to it. To, I can't do this. But God can. You can. May we be the same way. May we use your gifts the way you intended. The gifts you have given us, may we manage them and steward them well. And may we be a people that stands back like Jesus. And says, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Because we, as human beings, are different from that example in that we have this sinful nature that creeps into our will and our desires as human beings. And so we especially want to plead for your will to be done. Because sometimes, oftentimes, my will is not the right decision at all uh, as a human being. And so we repent when we've sinned. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. And we thank you for Jesus and his example. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to receive a communion uh, over the next few minutes. And uh, we're going to pass out the emblems. The bread represents Jesus' body. The cup represents his blood. And it's an opportunity for us to, to thank Jesus for what he accomplished. The sins that he's forgiven. Uh, the, the way that he leads us to life. And for us to maybe spend a few moments contemplating all the gifts that he's placed in our hands over, over the course of our lifetime. And am I managing those well? Am I leveraging those well? Am I living the way that God uh, would have me to live? And so uh, you can just kind of focus on Christ for a few moments. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you uh, for your grace. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. We thank you for your example. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We've uh, been talking in our Sunday school class about the ways that, there's a lot of ways that Joseph is like Jesus. And there's a lot of ways that he's not. (laughs) Um, And so one of the things we always want to be careful about is that we saint somebody like Joseph and make him just like Jesus. Um, That Jesus is Jesus. And His example is the one we want to follow. He lived the perfect life without sin. Um, We see Joseph struggle to forgive. Uh, We see him screwing around pretty substantially with his brothers when they come to Egypt. We we see that he is not a perfect person the way he handled dreams, especially when he was younger. And so we want to learn from Joseph, um, but we always want to keep our eyes on Jesus, who was perfect, who never sinned, who will lead us in the right direction, um, and who... uh, Prayed in the garden, God, may your will be done. And I I pray that that is with all the things that God has placed in your hand as you leave. Uh, This week ahead, you probably have a lot of things that kind of go through your hands with everything He's placed in your hand. Our prayer as we close today is, May your will be done. I might have a will, and it might be righteous and good because we've got the Holy Spirit, but we may have a will that's not. But either way, God, I pray for your will to be done with everything that passes through my hands. May your will be done because that's the best way to leverage his gifts. Let's stand up and sing one last song. God bless you guys. It's yours, all yours.